0: don't wait visit sonobello.com slash save
1: sonobello.com slash save com slash save
2: you're listening to the x-zone radio show live and around the world on the Talkstar radio network and x-zone broadcast network visit our website at www.xzoneradiotv.com. If I had a million dollars... Welcome to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. It is Wednesday, April the 28th in the year 2010. For the next four hours, I'm going to be your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. And then the show is repeated in its entirety from 2 a.m. until 6 a.m. from 6 p.m. I'm sorry, from, that's right, from 6 p.m. until 10 p.m. Right here on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, and on Star Cable. If you'd like to give us a call, our toll-free worldwide number is 1-800-610-7035. Email address com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. And our websites TV.com. That's our main website. The X Zone Store is up and running, thanks to my good friend John Reynolds at SEFX3D. And if you'd like to find out more about John, there's a very simple way, X Nation. Go to paragators.org. Click on the link for for SEFX3D. It'll bring you right to John's site. It's easy. Plus, while you're there, check out to see what's happening in the world of paragators. My first guest tonight is a return guest. We had the pleasure of having him on the show last week. We didn't even touch the topics that I wanted to touch, so I asked Joseph Frey if he'd like to come back and join us again this week, and he graciously accepted. We're going to be talking about an achievable solution of our energy problems, and Joseph Frey is a chartered electrical engineer and physicist in the United Kingdom. After graduating, he, uh, after graduation, I should say, he entered the electrical power industry. During this period he served as a part-time lecturer at the Blackpool Technical College. From the power industry, uh, he joined the United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority, which is also known under the acronym UKAEA, as the Works Electrical Engineer at the Chapel Cross Nuclear Power Station. Now during this assignment he developed an interest in the reactor side of the operation and began a study of the reactor physics. He then moved to the International Power Branch of the UKAEA and was engaged in the review of commercial nuclear power plants. While in this position, he participated in the startup testing of the advanced gas cooled reactor at the, uh, let me see, wide scale site. He also gave lectures on reactor control at the Calder Hall Reactor Operations School. Joining me now is Joseph Frey. And Joseph, welcome back to the Exxon.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be with
2: you. You know, Joseph, um, I, I thought of our conversation several times after the news of the uh, the oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico and and oh, the yes. chaos it is causing. Like, isn't wouldn't this be a, a a a perfect time for people to better understand how safe nuclear power actually is, and that it could avoid these kind of environmental disasters?
1: Well, indeed it would, and it also brings us to the topic which we didn't get round to last time. That is the extensive use of gasoline, which obviously is, uh, you know, requires uh, Mm -hmm. a demand for oil, you know, in order to produce the gasoline. Uh, That's the second part of, uh, of the thing that we need to look at. You see, we have two basic problems with energy, as I see it. The first of these is the devastating effect of using coal for most of our electricity production and the second problem is the use of gasoline so extensively which requires at least in the US about 60 percent of it to be imported which is a drain on the economy and also uh, adds to the pollution. All right, so stand I mean, by,
2: Joseph. You and I have to take our first commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. exon Nation, Joseph Frey is our special guest. He's the author of An Achievable Solution of Our Energy Problems. His website is bbotw.com. Don't go away. Back in two.
1: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying
3: thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for two fifty. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just two dollars. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer a combo meal. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Great news! For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today.
2: Mr. Frey is my special guest. He's the author of an achievable solution of our energy problems. His website is www.bbotw.com. Joseph, uh, how, how how feasible is it for us to simply change and and get rid of our thirst for gasoline and uh, coal, um, you know, uh, fossil fuels?
1: Well, uh, we're jumping ahead of what I was—I was, I was uh, you know, oh, about to do. But right. we can go right into that. No, no, no. Let's let's
2: like. start off where you finished. I'm sorry about that.
1: Uh, no, I was just about to say that in, in order to bring everybody up to speed, mm-hmm. I was going to quickly recap on the co- this problem of the coal, and then get into the gasoline. You know. All right. But I—I I, either way we, we can whichever you prefer. You know. Well, let's let's look at the, let's do
2: the recap first.
1: Okay. Well, basically, the uh, problem with coal is that we we produce, over, at least in the the U.S., over 50% of our power, Mm -hmm. and in Canada, about 16%, is produced just by burning coal. Now, a typical coal-fired power station will burn 4 million tons of coal in a year. And when you consider in, in the U.S., we have about five or 600 of these, you can see there's an awful lot of coal being burned. There certainly is. And I think balls mining it, tra- transporting it, and finally burning it. It's the burning that's the, the, the main problem, I mean, in in doing so, it produces lots of uh, uh, gases of of the type of the nitrogen oxides and sulfur oxides, which go into the atmosphere, mix with the uh, moisture there, and produce uh, dilute nitric and sulfuric acids, which come down as acid rain, they do an awful lot of damage around the plant. But more importantly, they affect people's health. They... in, in, in this way, the, 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 the medical costs and, and, and so on associated with this, particularly with for older people and the younger people and uh, anyone, people with bronchial troubles like asthma, they suffer tremendously from this. I mean, to give you some example, in, in the state of Indiana, the, the uh, Harvard uh, School of Public Health did a survey and for one year they estimated that there were over 800 premature deaths 21,000 asthma attacks, of which 1,200 of these required emergency room visits. This is just in in the state of Indiana alone. In Ontario, the the Ontario Medical Association estimated $10 billion involved in a year for medical costs, lost work time, and uh, other other damage that was done. And they estimated 2,000 premature deaths. That was for Ontario. So you can see for the whole country what a devastating effect this has. And secondly, uh, there's another problem. In burning all this uh, coal, a lot of ash is produced. A typical coal plant can produce uh, about a thousand tons of ash a day. And uh, somehow we have to get rid of all of this. Most of it is put in uh, disused uh, quarries and landfills, and and about 20% of it is put in ponds uh, adjacent to the uh, power station. And these are rather dangerous because they're not lined and the stuff that's contained in these ponds, the the ash that's dumped into the water in the ponds, contains such things as arsenic and uh, uh, mercury uh, uh, and also things like uh, uranium and thorium. In very small quantities, but when you consider the rate at which this is being uh, produced, a thousand tons a day of this ash, these small quantities become significant. In fact, it's estimated that uh, a typical uh, coal-fired plant in one year will produce five tons of uranium, (laughs) which is deposited out into the environment, plus about twice as much thorium. Now, this obviously uh, creates problems. These ponds, for instance, are very dangerous Mm -hmm. because they can uh, easily fail. In fact, we had a case in the Kingston plant a Tennessee Valley Authority plant in Tennessee one of these dikes containing the water and the sludge broke and deposited about a billion gallons of this sludge over three hundred acres. Several houses were destroyed, and the, the cleanup costs approached two, a billion dollars and, and has been a stake in two years. Now, there are many of these sites identified all over the country. So, as you can see, coal pre- presents a pretty severe problem to, to the environment. It certainly so, does. So, we have to look at what, what can, what's the solution. Clearly, we, we need to replace the coal-fired plants. That's the only way we can get around this one. And uh, in order to replace them, we've got to look at what the alternatives are. And I think we... we, we uh, In looking at the alternatives, we find that the only really one that's viable is nuclear because of the amount that's required. For instance, in the U.S., we need over a million megawatts of power, well over a million. Now, we could nowhere near supply this kind of power from solar, for instance, or wind. The 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 principal reasons being that when when there's no sun, there's no power, and when there's no wind, there's no power, and this has been demonstrated uh, around the world with with various uh, places. For instance, in Denmark, they have 20% of their power that comes from wind. Mm-hmm. The only way they can get away with that is they're connected to the European power grid so that when their wind fails, they can get the power from there. We wouldn't have much chance doing that in the U.S., for instance. I mean, we don't have an alternative power grid to get to latch onto. We want to get our own. And In Texas, in February 2008, 1200 megawatts of uh, wind power were lost, and the only way they could keep the system going was by asking major customers to switch off the power altogether. Well, I mean, you can't run an industry or a country in this manner, you know, it's just not possible. So, we find that coal and, and, uh, sorry, that that, uh, solar and wind just cannot replace the coal plants. No, that doesn't mean that they can't be used. I mean, solar, for, all, uh, for example, is quite useful where it's, uh, with these panels on the rooftops and houses and buildings because when you're using that power, you're not using coal anyway, so it's a help. But you've got to consider that uh, the replacement of the coal plants could never happen with, with, with solar or wind. That's the main thing to consider. The only thing we're left with is nuclear. Now, nuclear doesn't require any backup at all. It can supply all the power you need and and, and does so in a perfectly clean manner. It has no emissions whatsoever and uh, no radiation. That's another point we should come to because, as, you, as, you, as I said earlier, the, these coal-fired plants produce this uranium which they deposit in these landfills and in these ponds. And this uranium gets converted, some of it, to plutonium even by cosmic radiation. The thing is, there's a buildup of radiation around these plants, and it's far higher. It's about 100 times more radiation built up around a coal-fired plant than there is anywhere near a nuclear plant for the same amount of power being produced. Now, you you said
2: (laughs) said last time when you were on that's because there's no regulations pertaining to um, radioactive substance at a coal power plant.
1: No, this ash is just deposited anywhere, yep. and there's really little regulation about it, you see. People just don't appreciate what's happening to it. In fact, the estimates are that if we continued at the present rate, by the year uh, 2040, there will be 145,000 tons of uranium as will have been deposited in, in these various landfills and places from the whole of the coal, coal in, you know coal-fired power plants. So, I mean, it's something that's going on. Well, well, while at the moment it isn't uh, a serious proposition, you, you can see that this radiation is, is, could, be, could, be, could become so. Mm-hmm. But the reason to mention it is it's this uh, attitude that people have that radiation is associated with a nuclear power plant. And that's nonsense. It isn't. It, it should not be so, you see. In fact,. Uh, one might be interested in to know what, what happens with nuclear power radiation, first of all. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission has established strict limits you know, for radioactive emissions from nuclear power plants. All airborne and liquid discharges from nuclear power plants must be monitored and filed annually with the NRC. These reports are publicly available, and the quantity, type, and radiation dose are noted. Plant operators regularly sample surrounding soil, vegetation, cow's milk and water with the results submitted to the NRC. All these reports again are publicly available. The detection of environmental radiation is due mainly from past nuclear weapons testing in Chernobyl, which was the disaster that we'll talk about. So you, you see that while radiation still isn't uh, serious from the coal plants, it is hundreds of times more uh, radiation than this from any nuclear plant. The nuclear plants being monitored in the way I've just described, whereas nothing for, for the coal plants. So uh, that's one of our uh, major concerns here. All right, now, but when, but when think- we
2: but when we look at the the comparisons between the the fossil fuel and what has happened off the coast of, of of Texas and in the Gulf of Mexico we look at the mining accident that happened just a couple of weeks ago we look at the pollution that is being spewed up uh, by using fossil fuels and coal you know why hasn't the light gone on and and um, and major major companies corporations as as well as federal legislators said hey listen guys coal is out fossil fuel is out nuclear is in
1: It's gradually working round to that, I believe. I mean, they've just sanctioned, uh, you know, new plants to be built in Georgia, a couple Mm. of new nuclear plants. These will be the first for about 30 years (laughs) that they've built. And this has largely been due to the ridiculous propaganda and hysteria spread around by the anti-nuclear people which uh, I'd like to say something about. I mean, they've completely misled the public. And uh, again, I must say, the nuclear people themselves haven't done enough to counteract this, in my opinion. But, but certainly it is this propaganda that... that all right, Mark you and I didn't.
2: have to take a commercial break. When we come back, let's talk about the propaganda involved in uh, clean uh, energy uh, versus dirty energy. And by dirty energy, all I, all I have to say, exonation Nation, is... Just take a look at at the smut that is being shot up into our atmosphere. People talk about global warming. People talk about the environment. But when push comes to shove, very few want to do anything. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Joseph Frey is our special guest www.bbotw.com. My name's Rob McConnell, this is The Exxon, and you're listening to us on the Talk Star Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, and Star Cable. Don't go away.
0: We all have that friend
1: who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend...
2: Joseph Frey is my special guest. He is the author of An Achievable Solution of Our Energy Problems. His website is www.bbotw.com. First of all, Joseph, great having you back with us here in the X-Zone. Before we went to the break, we were just getting into the lobbying and the marketing or lack of marketing when it comes to bringing in cleaner cleaner fuel and, uh, by all the evidence that I've read, both um, you know, from government sources as well as independent sources, the way to go is nuclear.
1: Yes, uh, I mean the, the big problem, as I say, that, that's put uh, uh, impeded the development of nuclear power has been this, this ridiculous propaganda that's been put out. Uh, people telling half truths, no, not not preventing the facts to people. I mean, for instance, you'll find the anti-nuclear people will say, "Look, oh, it's a very dangerous nuclear power. Look, what happened at Chernobyl, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, which was a major disaster." What they don't tell you is that, first of all, the Chernobyl reactor was a design which would never be accepted in this country. It was an unstable design, which uh, a cheap and nasty design, which would well, never get a, a, a permit to be built in this country, let alone operated. <laughs> uh, they don't tell you that. And also, they don't tell you that the people who were operating that reactor were doing so in a a ridiculous manner, a, a totally reckless manner. It was known that they should not operate in a low power level with it, a particularly low power level. The designers said this. Nonetheless, these people operating it to conduct an experiment continued for hours, right up to the time of the accident, operating in this dangerous zone. They even disconnected uh, various parts of the safety equipment because they thought they might interfere with their experiment, mm. And they ignored warnings from the plant process computer telling them that they were in a dangerous situation. I mean, you can't believe the, the things that they were doing. So finally, they did get the disaster.
2: The so they shot
1: up to about 100 times full power in less than a minute.
2: <laughs> so Chernobyl
1: was and, caused by human error. A lot of it was human error. But first of all, this is the point: human error on are, are ridiculous, uh, are rec- totally reckless behaviour on a reactor design which would never be built in this country. So, what right of the nuclear people, anti-nuclear people, to use that as an example uh, for not having nuclear power? <laughs> you see, that's the point to be made: a totally misrepresentation of the situation. Well... But- I'll then tell you.
2: But all in all, all, how safe is nuclear power?
1: Well, I mean, frankly, for for the last 30 years, we've been operating over 100 nuclear plants in the U.S., and and, and, and they've been operating plants in Canada, and uh, there's no instance on record of, of nuclear power having affected anybody, done any harm to any member of the public. Now, just compare that with what the coal plants have been doing. Mm. I mean, it's just unbelievable. see, nuclear plants, uh, I've got a safety record uh, which is second to none. You, you consider any other industry that, that there is, whether it's uh, coal mining, whether it's flying on aeroplanes, driving on cars any, any any industrial enterprise you can come up with, they've got so many deaths per year or something like that, you know, that you can look up, you'll find there are none for nuclear power. <laughs> I mean, this is the difference, and yet people have this ridiculous image, you know, in their minds due to this propaganda. It's just unbelievable.
2: And and what about what about fossil fuel? Why do we still use fossil fuel? For example, gasoline. It, isn't there some way that we can actually get rid of the the uh, the the automobile engines that we have and, and use some other sort of energy so that we could kick the entire gasoline habit once and for all?
1: Well, I believe so. Uh, the, the people have come up with different, we, we're jumping ahead now, but anyway, let's let's go into that one. Uh, first of all, gasoline, the replacements for that, the possibilities have been suggested. I mean, obviously, we've got to replace it if we're going to do any good. <laughs> and one thing has been suggested is hydrogen uh, as, a, as a method. You can either use this directly or use it with a fuel cell. Now, in the fuel cell, you put in the hydrogen, it's mixed with oxygen, and you produce electricity and water, which is fine from a environmental point of view, no problem at all. The only trouble is hydrogen doesn't exist naturally, you've got to manufacture it. So there's a cost of manufacturing it, first of all, which is either electrolysis or from natural gas, steam reduction or some method like that, all of which costs money. Uh, secondly, how much can you store of uh, this on a on a vehicle? It, it's not easy to store a, lo- a lot of hydrogen, you know, to liquefy it or something like that uh, in order to be able to carry enough to, to get you anywhere on the vehicle, you see. That, that's the next thing. And also, of course, there's a danger here. A small amount of hydrogen and oxygen produces a very explosive uh, situation. So that, uh, motor car accidents might lead to explosions hmm. with this. That's something to be considered. So hydrogen doesn't seem to be such a good uh, alternative. Then people will come up with ethanol. Now, that sounds, you know, a, a, a just as a replacement for gasoline. The only trouble is ethanol has its problems. I mean, first of all, to produce it, you need a large demand for for land and water resources just to produce it. When you consider, if you're producing it on the scale as to replace what uh, the oil that we use at the moment, if it's made from corn, this could lead to a food scarcity and push up the price of food quite a lot if we start using tremendous amounts of land just to produce ethanol. You get pollution from the manufacture of it. It produces these nitrogen oxides again. And then, of course, a lot of fertilizers and pesticides are need to produce the ethanol. These have got to be disposed of. Uh, these are carried away in, in water into the rivers and places and, and produce a lot of uh, devastation there. In the Gulf of Mexico, for instance, there's a large dead area where the Mississippi empties into the Gulf of Mexico. This is due to pesticides and fertilizers and things which are dumped into the uh, Gulf. There's a large area in the Gulf where there's little or no aquatic life due to this. Now, if we multiplied this on the scale that we need to, to, to produce ethanol for to replace the gasoline, this would be a tremendous problem. Uh, when it's burned in the vehicles, it still produces pollution and has corrosive effects, gums up filters and various things. And again, some people will argue and, and, and come up with a good... Uh, uh, explanation that it, it takes more energy to produce a gallon of ethanol than you get out of the gallon of ethanol itself mm. <laughs> so uh, altogether ethanol's not not really a bright prospect although people have been pushing this you know to 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 do it to me the only replacement is electrification we must have electric cars that that's the only way to go now what what can we do w- with electric vehicles you see at the moment uh, the, the development of electric vehicles is such that uh, they can compete with gasoline vehicles in every way possible, except one, and that is the distance that they can travel uh, with, with the presently available batteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's the one problem that, that, that we have. Uh, and we're talking about all electric or plug-in hybrids. Those are the ones that, that we need to be to be using. Because we don't want to be burning gasoline to produce electricity in a hybrid, that's not a good thing to do. So the, it's the plug-in hybrids that we need to use, where you you, you charge the batteries on them from plugging into the power supply, not not by burning gasoline. So it's a plug-in hybrids and all-electric the things that should we should be using. Now the, the present range is anywhere from a hundred to two hundred miles with with a with a battery vehicles. Now. For for 200 miles, uh, I mean, you need the most expensive lithium-ion batteries, which is the best we can get so far. And that, this is the problem. This is why we need to develop better batteries. To me, the, the government should be developing something almost like a, a mini Manhattan project, if you like, right. to work on the, the development of batteries, because this really would be the answer to, to the, the gasoline question.
2: I've often wondered so, uh, if the... The progress in the development of alternative fuel has not been suppressed by major corporations who are making a killing and extraordinary amounts of, of corporate profits by the sale of, of fossil fuels.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you, you see, to me, the, the, the way to go is undoubtedly if you produce all, all your power from nuclear power mm-hmm. and you add all your cars running on, gasoline, on uh, electric drive, all the problems would virtually disappear. You'd remove all the major health hazards and medical costs. You'd remove foreign oil dependency with all its political and economic issues. You'd remove all the property damage. U.S. would no longer be regarded as a major world polluter. (laughs) And, of course, global warming would no longer be relevant anyway because the uh, nuclear plants don't produce any CO2. (laughs) So... Uh, I mean that would clearly be the uh, sort of an energy utopia if you could uh, get electric drive completely now there are things we could do at the moment uh, such as uh, electric drive for instance in urban use we, we, we could use at the moment if we developed a charging infrastructure uh, we, we could use for, for urban travel uh, almost all of it could be could be done uh, with electric cars uh, it, uh, see the more people uh, use them the, the less expensive they're going to become it's like everything else uh, uh, cost comes with with, with the uh, uh, how many you produce of a mm-hmm. particular thing now uh, we, we could even conduct schemes uh, uh, for urban use where we replace batteries. You didn't have to wait for them to be charged, for example. I mean, if a scheme could be established whereby you, you go into a, a filling station like you would for gas and you just have your battery changed. And if there was a scheme set up like this, and I don't see why it couldn't be, this would get over the problem of charging and the time spent charging. Because the better batteries at the moment, the the most expensive ones, they can be recharged in about ten minutes or less. But these are very expensive, and they're not getting used very much. So this is why we need battery development. The 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 real answer is to to develop these batteries. Uh, you know, to solve the sure. gasoline problem. It'll, it'll, there's no question it will happen eventually. We we shall definitely go to electric eventually. It's just a matter of how quick we go about doing it.
2: But will it be too late by the time we make the decision to make the switch?
1: Well, it, it could be. It, as I say, they're gradually swinging over. I mean, more electric cars are coming on the market, and we we should give incentives. You know, all the incentives possible, like letting them drive in the. Uh, to where, you know the 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 uh, on the on the road where 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 the normal uh, cars you know are not uh, allowed to go on the on on these uh, lanes you mm-hmm. know the, the, the these these uh, lanes which are reserved they could they could let electric cars go on all these lanes they could give them preferential parking facilities these are just incentives that they could give to get people to buy more electric cars and as soon as start people start buying more well then the price will come down you see like well, I think big... I
2: think they're doing it backwards. I think that the government since the government likes giving money to losing propositions, should give money to the auto industry and uh, you know say listen. Make the cars cheaper so that more people can buy them. Here's some money for R&D on the batteries, and let's get this into full swing. But I don't no, think that's right. going. To, I don't think that's going to happen because I, 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 you know, like I believe that too many people have deep pockets in the fossil fuel industry. Not only is fueling the war machine, but it's also fueling uh, in industry and and people don't want to make the change because. Because, you know, if, if you change too much, you're going to look at an increase in unemployment. Sure, people really don't. I, I, I don't believe people really want the, the, the environmental problems solved. Because as long as these problems exist, major industries are showing a profit. As long as the major industries show a profit, people are being employed. And as long as people are being employed, you've got the need for the fossil fuel, which fuels the war machine.
1: Oh, it, it's a, it's a vicious circle. It is no question, but uh, it it can be changed. You see that, that I mean I, I think people are are gradually coming round to it. Mm-hmm. Some of these people who've been opposing nuclear power, for instance. Uh, one of the uh, leaders, uh, Patrick Moore, who used to be in Greenpeace, yes, he's now come around to... to he, he, they were against nuclear power altogether. Now he's come around to saying, well, no, nuclear power is probably the best way to go from an environmental point of view. So gradually the climate is changing, I think, you, you see. But, but it, it takes a lot to overcome this... Uh, uh, what shall I say, bad uh, publicity that's been given to nuclear power. For instance, I mean, there's su- silly misconceptions that people have about nuclear power. All right, I mean, why, don't we, why things- don't we
2: hold these silly misconceptions until we come back from this commercial break that we have to take right now? We'll be back ooh, in about four minutes from now. Our special okay, guest this uh, hour is uh, Joseph Frey. His website is www.bb.com otw.com dot com. That's www.bbotw.com This is the Exxon on the Talk Star Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, and on Star Cable. Our toll-free worldwide number is one 800 610 7035 Email XZone at XZoneRadioTV.com and our website, www.exonradiotv.com Check out the Exxon store, XZoneStore.com. We'll be back. Don't go away.
1: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in.
3: Hey, you. Yeah, you. Have you heard about HazelineGuns.com, the best firearms dealer in the D.C. area? Buying a firearm online from HazelineGuns.com is secure, easy, and cost-effective with no transfer fees and only a $25 state processing fee. Discounts available for active law enforcement, first responders, and military personnel at HazelineGuns.com, where every day is like Black Friday. What are you waiting for? Visit HazelineGuns.com today. That's H-A-Z-E-L-I-N-E-G-U-N-S.com.
2: Tell me, Joseph, what are some of the popular misconceptions about nuclear power?
1: Well, I. I- a simple one, first of all. I think there are a lot of people out there who think that a nuclear power reactor is, is just a nuclear bomb mm-hmm. being controlled, in, you know, in a slow manner, so it's not doing any harm. And it might, if things go wrong, go off as a nuclear bomb. I mean, this is just nonsense. Because, I mean, first of all, the enrichment that's used in the, for, for the fuel in a nuclear power reactor is never more than about 3 or 4%. You need at least 80 to 90% to be able to create a bomb, you see. So they just if you just went away and left the nuclear power plant by itself, it could never go off as a bomb, no way. But this is a popular misconception with people. Uh, another one, as we've already talked about, is the radiation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the radiation uh, is monitored, as, as I explained earlier, uh, for the nuclear power, and a coal-fired power plant produces 100 times as much radiation for, for the same amount of power produced. Then there's the cost. People argue, oh, they're too expensive. Well, you add all the damage done by the coal-fired plants mm-hmm. uh, to the cost of, of, of uh, producing energy that way and see how much, which is the cheapest. But apart from that, the cost is artificially pushed up with nuclear power. Because these interveners and people arguing over it have caused a delay in, in building them. As an example, in Japan, where you, where they might, for instance, be worried about nuclear for some reason, <laughs> as you might expect, yeah, and so forth, they can build a nuclear power plant in about four years. It takes us. 10 to 14 years in this country, in the US, to build the same plant by the same company, just due to all arguing and and wrangling that goes on with with intervening, you see, which is sheer nonsense. does nothing to alter the plant at all except delay it, and when you delay it, you push up the capital costs tremendously, you see. So uh, these are the kind of misconceptions that people have uh, about nuclear. Three Mile Island, they talk, Well, yeah. dude, we had a big accident there. In Three Mile Island, the, the several commissions were set up to investigate this immediately after the event. And it, all of them came up with one conclusion. There was no radiation whatsoever ever got to the public, uh, the, none whatsoever from Three Mile Island. And that is because of the way we design and operate reactors. They can tolerate accidents on, on our reactors and nothing would happen. So
2: if there was no if there was no radioactive leak at Three Mile Island, why was there such a big panic, and why the why the uh, why do people re- resent nuclear power so much? Because one of the major reasons they they use for not going with nuclear power is Three Mile Island and Chernobyl.
1: Exactly. Well, as I say, I mean because they're not given the facts. Mm. I mean, the facts of Chernobyl, it's ridiculous to even talk about yeah. Chernobyl in the same breath as, as a reactor in this country. And Three Mile Island produced no devastation whatsoever. No, no, No member of the public was affected by radiation or anything else with Three Mile Island.
2: Joseph, and, uh, we've run out of time for tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Always a great pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to the next time you're on with us. We're going to be talking about UFOs.
1: Well, it could be. <laughs> All right, Joseph, take care
2: of yourself. Exonation Nation, Joseph Frey, he's the author of An Achievable Solution of Our Energy Problems. His website, www.bbotw.com. That's www.bbotw.com. When I come back, Paul Shishish and I talk about UFOs, fact, fiction, or psychosis. I'll be back on the other side of this break at six and a half minutes past the hour. Don't go away.
1: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us
3: saying thank you.